0: Welcome to Movable Dough. This is Steve Danielson. Each week, I get to sit down with a living composer and talk about their lives, their musical journeys, and of course, their music. Join me and take a peek inside the mind of a composer. For a complete archive of episodes, as well as access to the shorter segments called Movable Snippets, visit my website, sdcompose.com slash dough. Hey, this is Steve. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Movable Dough. My guest today is composer and performer Chrysanthi Tan. Chrysanthi is a Cambodian, Greek, American composer and violinist. They earned a BA in Creative Writing from Stanford University, an MFA in Creative Writing from California Institute of the Arts, and a second MFA in Music Composition and Violent Performance from CalArts. Their work explores the connection between music and the spoken word. Their work has been performed at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, Rockefeller Center, New Orleans Jazz Festival's Rising Artist Series, the U.S. Embassy in Cambodia, and many, many more. Chrysanthi Tan, welcome to Movable Dough.
1: I am honored to be here. Hello.
0: So we are going to start today with a joint love of ours, Star Wars. Yes. (laughs) So I was first introduced to you as a musician through your guest appearances on my favorite podcast, well, after this one, of course, Star Wars Minute, where they analyze, scrutinize and celebrate the Star Wars movies one minute at a time. So you are a self-proclaimed prequel apologist. So, if you could just talk briefly about your love of Star Wars and how you got involved in the whole Star Wars Minute project.
1: First of all, isn't it so interesting how, like, how sometimes we meet people from just completely unrelated uh, circumstances?
0: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Like, I love that. I think that's. I think it's so cool that that's how you. Um, yeah, I think it's so cool that that's what we have in common. Um, so, a prequel apologist. Okay, well, I guess. That's bio is a little bit outdated because I don't think being a prequel apologist, uh, is, or I love the star Wars prequels. And I think about five years ago or like before, uh, the sequels started coming out, I think there was a little bit more distaste for the prequels amongst fans. And I have always been like 100% behind the prequels. I love the prequels because that's what I grew up with. Um, and I became, I, I got involved with star Wars minute actually, um, in a in an interesting way. Uh, basically, you know, the whole lead up to the Force Awakens coming out, which was the first Disney era Star Wars film to come out, um, this is when a lot of people were starting to get interested in Star Wars or like revitalize their interest in preparation for the Force Awakens. Now, I've been a, a die hard Star Wars fan and I'm almost singularly obsessed with Star Wars. Like it's I'm not into any other, pretty much any other <laughs> franchise. Um, it's for me it's been star wars all the way since fifth grade like just single mindedly like so my love for star wars never never died at all like it was very very present but in 2015 i was on a tour for like a whole year and um i started like being on a long tour um it can be really alienating it can be a little bit isolating and i was like missing out on being home and like being you know, part of the Star Wars community, basically, like, not that (laughs) that there ever was like a home base of a Star Wars community. But basically, no one I was on tour with was a huge, huge, huge fan. And I just like, really, really wanted to talk to someone about Star Wars. I was just like laying in my bunk on the bus one day, just like looking through podcasts or like just searching for podcasts that had the word Star Wars in it. And I found Star Wars Minute. So I started listening while I was on tour with Ariana Grande. I started listening in my bunk to star Wars minute and that's how I got into it. And when I got home, I was like, I hope I was like, it would be cool to go on that show one day. But I, but I didn't really think about it much more. And then about a year later is when they reached out to me and and I was like, yes, (laughs) life dream accomplished.
0: (laughs) That's right. That's all. That's still on my bucket list to check off.
1: (laughs) I'm telling you, I was in the middle of a recording session and I got like a DM that was inviting me on the show. And I was like, oh my gosh, screw this recording session. This.
0: <laughs> so I understand that you also host a Star Wars podcast, Star Wars Music Minute. Yes. Uh, could you tell our audience about your podcast and why they should listen to that one?
1: Yes. Star Wars Music Minute is basically, a, uh, it, it got its inspiration from Star Wars Minute. And so now I'm friends with the hosts. So they gave me their blessing to do a, like a spinoff show. And also it came from like, every time I would come on their show, I would talk about music or, or sometimes touch upon it more times than others. But I found that listeners would frequently ask for like, say, say that they wish they had more. And I didn't really give myself permission to actually go in, do that and start my own podcast, just analyzing the music and sound of star Wars, um, until the pandemic. So that's my, that's my pandemic. That's one of my pandemic projects. Um, and listeners, I think you should listen to it. Definitely. If you're a star Wars fan, um, And definitely if you're not a musician, I mean, certainly if you're a musician as well, but I like to say that um, the podcast of which the aim is to uh, celebrate the music and sound of Star Wars five cinematic minutes at a time, it's not really so much about analyzing music and telling the audience what is going on and like putting on like, I don't know, like a professorial hat and being like, this is the music theory, you know? This science said, like music theory says that this is an A plus. Like, I'm not into that at all. Like, I'm all about fostering conversations about music with people, regardless of their musical background. And I think everyone should be entitled to have their own opinion and reaction and to be able to expand, like how they think about music. And it's, I mean, I just, I think it's just something I miss because whenever I talk to people about music in in the Star Wars community they kind of take a step back and go, oh, well, I don't know anything about it. So like, I just, I just trust your opinion. And I'm like, no, the point is to have a conversation about like <laughs> how like this art is affecting us. And maybe I can facilitate um, you asking better questions in the future or like noticing different things. But there sh- I don't think there should be like any sort of um, divide between who has the right to speak about this topic or not. So that's like the whole, the point of the podcast. So
0: that's awesome. Well, I will better definitely... Better I'll I'll definitely recommend for our listeners that they go check out Star Wars Music Minute and also check out Chrysanthi's appearances on Star Wars Minute. Uh, They were just recently on Solo, A Star Wars Story, uh, which is being covered this season. Uh, I could talk to you about Star Wars all day, but we do need to move on because I do want (laughs) to talk about you and and learn more about your music. So I saw in your bio that you did all of your degrees in California. Uh, Is that where you grew up?
1: It is where I grew up. I was born in Hawaii, but I grew up in California, um, like in the Long Beach area.
0: OK, and did you have a, a musical family Were your no. parents or siblings or anything doing music?
1: My dad is from Cambodia. My dad was born and raised in Cambodia. He escaped during the killing fields or, you know, in the late 70s. So, um, yeah, my dad is a genocide survivor and um, does did doesn't never play music or anything. Um, my mom is an immigrant from Greece by way of australia so she was born in greece raised in australia and then um ended up in the u.s for school and then stayed here when she met my dad and so they have they have me and she's not a musician either um now i i do have some australian relative like my whole family lives in australia or like cambodia or other parts of the country i do have like australian relatives that are into theater and stuff but um um yeah i was i as a kid just really always wanted to play music my parents never like I, it they didn't put me into it at all like i begged them to first play piano and then i saw violin playing on tv on kcet which is like pu- public um like public television
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it i just was transfixed like i just i remember where i sit where i was sitting on the couch when i saw this violinist on tv playing some like, I don't know, Christmas concert or whatever cheesy stuff they televised. And I just was staring at the way that the bow touches the strings and moves so fluidly. And I, I couldn't understand. I thought it was probably attached because it was so fluid. It looked so fluid. I didn't, I didn't understand how like the stick was making that sound come out. And I, I just, like, I don't know what the music was. And I wasn't raised on classical music from my parents, like I just wanted to know how to produce that kind of sound. It sounded like something really magical coming out of this, like, I don't know, wooden box with a stick. I just, I did not get it. I was transfixed and I just really wanted to play the violin. I, I really, I really just, I didn't even care. I didn't have any taste of like what genre or anything. I just needed to make that sound.
0: How old were you when that happened?
1: I was in second grade. So,
0: okay. So about seven, eight in that area. So you started playing violin. When did you sort of realize that you were good at it and it was something you wanted to keep doing?
1: Um, to be honest, immediately. Um, yeah. I I sort of, I e- even before, like I had my first lesson and already I uh, I just remember each time I had a lesson, I would do like 10 times beyond what I was taught, but like just with a little bit of pushing in the right direction or a little bit of knowledge. Like, I feel like I already knew what I wanted to do. Um, like, I, I just feel like music, for as long as I can remember, like music is like my first, it's, it's like the most natural language to me. Hmm. And um, yeah, I just remember my teacher taught me like the open strings and then like, how to maybe put my first finger down or something. And then the next time I went to my lesson, you know, when I was like eight, um, I had learned by ear one of my mom's Greek records, or like one, oh, wow. the this, like, this single off of this record. And I was so I was playing never on never on a Sunday, which I I can't remember who it's by, but um, with and my teacher was like, oh, and so she heard the she heard it and like she of course like corrected anything that I was that I could do better. And she transcribed it for me from hearing it. And, um, you know, made me like a a cooler version of it with a nice little ending and and whatever. But I was like learning by ear from the start. Um, When I got older, I realized, oh, there's like actually a lot of competition. But like when I was still too naive to know, like the whole world out there, like it was always it always came very natural.
0: And were you writing music from the very beginning as well, or just improvising on violin or, or when do you remember writing music?
1: I was not formally writing music. Um, see, that's the thing. Like, I didn't I didn't think about composing ever. Um, it just wasn't something that I knew that, like, people did that weren't <laughs> like two centuries old like I I just didn't really think of it as like modern composers um, existing at first. Um, but I was certainly improvising because my first um, my first teacher was a bluegrass fiddler, fiddler. So I learned a lot of like bluegrass and um, we would go to like fairs and and festivals and stuff. And our concert dress would be like jeans and cowboy boots <laughs> <laughs> and bandanas. And we'd play like Americana folk stuff and my violin teacher doubled as my guitar teacher. And so I was playing like, old Joe Clark, he had a house. And like, <laughs> it was normal for at violin recitals. I would, I would stand up, play a violin piece, and then later go up there and get play a guitar and sing. Like it was pretty normal. Um, and so I was doing a lot of that and um, learning by ear, memorizing, improvising. A lot of that was just really important to the very, very beginning of my training. And then in middle school, when I was starting to like get into orchestras and um, like the school, like my school teacher and some parents who kind of were watching me play and stuff. I don't know. The point is like, I had, I ended up switching teachers because it was kind of impressed upon my parents who didn't, who didn't know any better, like they would have found me like a proper classical teacher if they knew what that, what this whole world was like at the beginning, but you know, they were just going off of family, friends, whoever could teach me. And so, yeah, it was brought to their attention that I should probably like have a, a more rigorous teacher. Cause I could go a lot farther if I kind of did that. So yeah, I then <laughs> went into a very strict, like classical training in, uh-huh. in middle school.
0: That's awesome. So you have a, a fantastic quote on your website that I'd like to read and have you respond to. You said, if Andrew Bird, Philip Glass, and Joni Mitchell had an awkward love child, then raise that child on Cambodian and Greek folk tunes, the resulting spawn would be one, an absolute miracle of quantum physics, and two, Chrysanthe's musical kindred spirit. <laughs> so explain, what do you mean by all that? Nice. <laughs> I wrote
1: that. Cool. Um, <laughs> well... After submitting bios for like so many different things, you have to like find ways to like say say something new at a certain <laughs> point.
2: Um,
1: so that okay, the the re- the way that I came upon that was interesting because I was um, like I can't remember if like I had to submit music for something or I had to do the annoying task of tagging my music with soundalikes and and finding you know audience or you know whatever i had to i had to delve into the meta music <laughs> annoying stuff which is okay but how do you explain it to other people like what's your elevator pitch you can't just be like it's everything you know you, you can't just do that um so it was suggested as an exercise that i asked people um who i knew were listeners of my music to um to tell me honestly and i wouldn't be offended like what artists they saw me kind of in a similar realm as because it's so hard to do that for yourself you know, yeah. you might not like you yeah and um when i was first putting music out a lot of people would tell me like oh it really re- like your music reminds you of Jan tears or like all oh, of our Ar- arnold's uh, and and whatnot and that is certainly true in a sense um but also um andrew bird was coming up and Andrew Bird happens to be like also sort of a pioneer in the, in the field of, I guess, violinists crossing over to not just pop because there definitely is that, but um, really getting into the use of electronics and Mm -hmm. pedals and and sort of doing like a live, he's like a live one man band, you know, or he can be, you know? Um, And that is something um, that I do as well. And you know, he's a master at it. And um, I feel like aesthetically that is a space that um, I feel really in line with. Uh, and let's see, who else did I say? Joni Mitchell um, would be another one because this comes up more when I'm like singing, which doesn't happen um, a lot. And due to what I just said about like sort of my upbringing, I was like bluegrass and folk and not a lot of people know about that. So when I do like recreationally sing, you know, get out my guitar. I'm like singing like Joni Mitchell, James Taylor folk, uh, sort of like bluegrassy country and sixties stuff, like campfire songs basically it's like my aesthetic when I'm singing. And um, yeah. And so that's where that comes from. Um, I also just really admire Joni Mitchell as a songwriter, not just as like a practitioner of the vocal arts, like, I really, um, I really love her songwriting, which, uh, you know, as a composer, I'm, there are just certain songwriters that um, I'm really attracted to, or yeah, that I just really admire the way that they can like turn a certain, turn a phrase in a certain way.
0: Yeah, You, you know, I was not
1: in Greek folk tunes. That's just my heritage. And that's just another big part of what I know. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, I was not familiar with uh, Andrew Bird before I read that. And I, I looked him up and thought, Oh, okay. I can see why yeah. Chris would have included that here. <laughs> Especially the useless creatures
1: album, which is just entirely there's, he, he doesn't sing on that album. It's just like massive, like violin loops. It's just like it, that is, that feels like me when I'm just alone playing with my looping pedal um, and just seeing what can come out of it. It's just mm-hmm. like, you can feel the generative process of Andrew bird's music while you're listening to his music and especially like his live sets, you can hear how the loops are building on each other and how like sometimes they're imperfect. And sometimes due to the, due to the nature of looping, um, things have to maybe go on awkwardly long or, or a mistake will be imprinted in the loop or something. And I just find that I find the like artifacts of playing and composing while playing, um, really fascinating. And
0: yeah. So you mentioned the Cambodian and Greek folk songs. Do you do you see influence of Cambodian or Greek culture or music in your compositional style today?
1: Absolutely. And um, if here's the thing, like I I see myself as, or like I am a composer, but also I feel, and this might be a result, uh, this might have something to do with like where I went to school. And the nature of my program, which was, as you mentioned at the beginning, um, a composer-performer program, like it, it was like a dual program for composers and performers, like hyphenated. Mm-hmm. So I feel, and I feel very um, like my a lot of the times my performing and composing are are pretty intertwined. Not always, because sometimes I will compose things for other people to perform, but a lot of the times they're intertwined. So I think about when I'm doing live sets or when I'm doing concerts, you know, I think of my like MFA grad recital or something where I will like tra- go between maybe like a, a Cambodian folk folk song or like a Cambodian pop song even. Um, but realized with on the violin with string loops and stuff. And then I'll go into like a composition of my own. That's string loops with spoken word or something. And so, It it is in the fabric of um, what I do. And the thing is, I've been thinking about this a lot and like influences and inspirations are not always the same, I I, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if I'm not directly inspired and trying to specifically sprinkle in a little bit of Greek folk music here, which I almost never do intentionally. It undoubtedly influences the way that I write and I notice it when I improvise because I will ornament things in a Mm -hmm. a certain way that I've learned to do while studying Greek music and and doing Greek dancing so it's just a natural part of my of the way that I speak through the violin sort of like John Williams will always he just naturally does certain triplety things in the brass like he just that's just he's not even trying you know it's that's part of his musical language so Greek and Cambodian folk music is just a naturally part of the way that I speak through music.
0: So you mentioned earlier that you have been on tour. Uh, you performed with Ariana Grande, among others. Um, when was your first tour as a performer?
1: My first tour as a performer <laughs> was as a sub for a tour. Um, and it was more, I would just do like home, home gigs. Uh, home, like meaning within California. So sometimes we would drive like eight hours up to the, up to the Northern California, or maybe go a little bit to like Las Vegas, Uh Um, but you know, like West coast. Um, And that was actually um, in about maybe 2012, 2013, 2012, when I was working at a restaurant, I had dropped out of school temporarily and and, uh, kind of like a crisis of art art and stuff (laughs) and was working at a restaurant and just not sure what to do and um i worked at i worked um yeah i worked at this restaurant in los angeles for like 18 months and one of my customers who came in a lot um knew that i was a violinist like we had talked about it briefly you know but while he was ordering and um at some point like he had looked me up on youtube and i had probably like a few things up there you know i had some soundcloud stuff i had i don't know i had some stuff online um which was my saving grace and he came in one day and was like, I've heard you play. Cause I have seen some videos. I have no idea how you can sight read. I'm taking a really, really big chance, but I'm contracting this tour for Marco Antonio Solis, who's a Latin artist. And someone dropped out and it's, it's just for the weekend, you know, three shows, but we leave in two days. Can uh, like, I'm taking a chance on you. <laughs> can you do it? And I was like, Yes.
2: So that's literally
1: how I got my first gig was not even auditioning, not like nothing like that. It was just, someone was desperate and I worked at a restaurant and I just happened to be there like at the cash register and happened to have some YouTube videos up. So I did the tour. It went well. I'm a, I'm, I'm a good sight reader. Um, (laughs) And yeah, that just led to more and more gigs. It led to some like Riverside, like I started playing with like um, some professional orchestras as a like a sub or you know like a just one-off
2: mm-hmm.
1: um and then I played on the television show Glee um which was like a show about high schoolers who magically break out a song all the time um and magically a band <laughs> that wasn't
0: that wasn't your experience in high school <laughs> right right <laughs>
1: so and magically a band shows up in the background um so I was you know part of that band that just happens to be there whenever the singers need to do something.
0: That's awesome. Um,
1: <laughs> so, so yeah, that's, that's just how it started. That's how it started.
0: And has touring gotten any easier for you over the years? Do you? No, no, it's so rough.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, well, after that, um, I, I continued to do, you know, weekend warrior they're called <laughs> gigs um, and just one-off event, one-off things. And, you know, a lot of television mm-hmm. being in LA um, being Uh, part of the entertainment world is sort of a natural place to land. And once you do a good job at a certain gig, you start getting more of the same type of gig. Um, so after that, I went on tour with Paul Anka a few times. I mean, actually many times I continued to do that. Um, because it wasn't ever like a whole year, which, which that Paul Anka led to Ariana Grande in a weird way. Um, and that was a different kind of tour for me.
0: Unlike- we'll have a chance to come back and talk about that one. when okay, We'll yeah, listen to okay. your music. Yeah.
1: So put it, I'll just say that was my last major tour. <laughs> <All right.
0: laughs>
1: then I've only done short things. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I know you often like to combine music and the spoken word. Where did that come from? What, what led to that uh, interest?
1: I've all, it, it, it just, it was a calling. It just chose me. I never even set out to do it. It just happened. Um, I I don't really ever set, I don't, I don't really ever set out to do things intentionally. I just, if it happens and if I'm feeling free enough to let it happen, then it happens. Um, When I was a kid, I had a lot of trouble speaking and I'm autistic and um, I did not, I actually didn't know that until I was an adult because I was diagnosed pretty late. And um, I did have oftentimes the experience of being talked to and not being able to talk back. In fact, my kindergarten teacher told my parents that she thought I was quote unquote dumb <laughs> until like the first time, like she like read something or, or found out that I, how many books I had read that year or something like, cause I never, I just never spoke. Hmm. Um, but I would always hear music firing off in my head as a, as a reaction, like not even, it, it wasn't something I wrote down. I never thought, Oh, I'm composing nothing like that. It was just like how Ratatouille when Ratatouille takes like a bite of food and like all that stuff you can see in the animation, like all of those colors and fireworks and stuff are happening in his head. That's like how it is and was for me growing up with verbalizing, like what I needed to express. It would just, Hmm. music would be firing in my head and it would be like so loud. And I would just be like, I wish you could hear it because I am trying to respond, but it's just not coming out of my mouth. And so people would often be like, what are you stupid? Like what? Like there's some, like, there's like definitely a lot of trauma related to that. Like, why don't you just say something? Like that's a line that is like repeated in my head so many times, like just say something. Aren't you going to say something where I'm like trying to say something, but it's not coming out like that. Um, And because of that, like But I am, like, very um, verbose when I'm writing. And so that was always, like, the quiet ways of using language. Um, That is always something I could do. And um, I would furiously write in notebooks and, like, everything. Like, for as long as I could remember, I was – I have always been a writer, a a journaler, like, someone who just obsessively writes so much, like, just fills, fills, fills. Like, I just – need to always be getting something out um, and my, you know, further edu- my post, whatever my college studies and every and everything like that. Um, I always did music and, and writing alongside each other.
0: All right. I've got one more question before we take a quick break. Okay. And this is going to be a hard one. We're going to bring it back to star Wars. Oh, no. <laughs> what is your favorite song or theme from the star Wars franchise
1: binary sunset?
0: Oh, nice. That was a, quick nice answer what is it about binary sunset that you love
1: it's a first of all it's a lengthy theme and um so and it's uh there's like a distinct part a and part b section and part a would be like <laughs> and that is often quoted in a lot of places but i find that the part b section which is which we first hear like fully orchestrated when Luke is staring out at the binary sunset in A New Hope, that has that's imbued with like a spirit that I feel like, like it opens it opens up like I can see like a a, a flower blossoming there. It goes, and it's sparingly used, like it just it goes to such a different place than it starts. And then it comes back in. I just think um, it, the fact that I like listen and study and analyze Star, War- Star Wars music so much, and yet that theme, that piece of music from the very first movie can work on me and, you know, bring me to tears like anytime I see it in in, in film is just, yeah, That's that is, that is peak peak Star Wars to me. I I just think it's so beautiful.
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, we are going to take a quick break here and we're going to come back and listen to some of Chrysanthi's compositions. Welcome back. I'm talking today with Chrysanthi Tan. So we're going to start today with If You Lived in Your Body for violin and spoken word. So you talk about this piece on your website as a response to the tour you took in 2015 and follow up conversations with your therapist. So I'd love you to tell about your experience and what we should expect to hear as we listen.
1: My experience leaving for tour especially and being on tour was very scary because I had never been away from home for that long of a period and no less living on a bus basically so being traveling all the time and I'm I get kind of stressed out when I don't have my things and when I you know I get disembodied quite often and I, I just was afraid that I would feel perpetually homesick and just discombobulated it was really it was really frightening for me so um my therapist basically told me you know before I left before I left for tour and then I would write it in my notebook like every every day on tour she said if you lived in your body you'd be home like and Mm. and that just that stuck with me and I found it like it I find it found it so aspirational like maybe there is this situation maybe 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 it's okay if i'm traveling and not sure where i'll be you know tomorrow and not sure if i'll feel really suffocated by living on a bus with 10 people like with that i don't really know that well like if i can find some sense of home in my own body then there's a possibility of always being able to feel a bit of home and i was really just really desperate for some form of anchoring so that's how that piece came about.
0: That's awesome. That, you know, my father-in-law used to say something like that as we were traveling down the highway. He'd say, uh, you know, if we lived here, we'd be home now. Uh, and it's that, that same sort of, uh, same sort of idea. I think if we are comfortable in our body, then we're always home. I like that. Okay. Well, we're going to listen here to if you lived in your body. I'm
3: going on the road, could be 6 months, maybe a year. She asks how I feel, I say, I'm terrified that I'll lose my center. I have no sense of home. I'm going on the road, living in bunks, with people I barely know. She asks how I feel. I say, I already crave home. Not the place. The feeling. I'm traveling on a bus, could be six months, maybe a year. Notice your body, she says. I don't want to notice my body, I say. I'd like to pretend it doesn't exist breathe she says feel your body she says why can't i hide out in my brain both places are inhospitable but the brain i'm more used to where is home really where is it this has now become a pressing matter I've moved three times in the past three months, and I need to figure this out. She says, if you lived in your body, you'd be home now. If I lived in my body. If I lived in my body. If I lived in my body. To live in my body, I would first need to move into my body. Breathe. She says, I don't want to, I say, or maybe it's hard to. My body's a terrible host. Would you want to stay there? Why would I want to live there? It hurts. This body is not my body, or worse, it is. And yet, there it is. If you lived in your body, you'd be home. If you lived in your body, you'd be home. If you lived in your body, you'd be home. If my body is my home, home will always be with me. Is that what I want? Home always with me? I search my journal for the word home. I count 155 times in 243 pages. An average of 1.6 times per page. I talk about going home, being at home, laying at home, working at home, loving home, hating home, escaping home, old homes, future homes, hiding at home, moving home, multiple homes, making a home. What is home? If I lived in my body, I'd be home. If I lived in my body, I'd be home. I want To be home. But then what?
0: All right, our next piece today, On the Other Hand, for solo violin. So you've said that this piece is about the process of formulating an argument. What do you mean by this?
1: (laughs) Um, So I I am very self-conscious about the way that I speak. (laughs) Uh, And I noticed that a lot of the times I would start to say something, even write something. um, And I would, you know, be on this track and like, okay, I'm saying something. And then I would experience like another thought just interjecting and derailing the whole point of what I was trying to say and just really trying to stay on task with getting out the original thought, but not being able to avoid this, you know, new either new piece of information or just completely unrelated thing coming in. Um, and I wanted a way to like describe how, how that experience is. It's so hard to describe like embodied, it's so hard to describe things that are happening inside of you in, a, in, in language sometimes. And I felt that expressing it through music might be more, might make more sense for me. So in the piece, there are uh, there are parts, you know, it starts out in, a particular way with a particular kind of phrase and then like other parts start to come in um it's not quite just like you know I've simplified it it's not just like interjecting thoughts it's more like you know new information comes in and then maybe you want to divert what you were kind of change what you were saying to something else it's sort of like the natural flow of thinking and and putting together arguments incorporating new pieces of information so anyway in the piece there is also a part where like clearly this other you know, this kind of fortissimo, like, chord comes in, or it's, it changes the soft opening. And, um, and then the two kind of sides continue to kind of go back and forth. There's a little bit of a like internal battle of like, this thought, no, this thought, no, I want to say this, no, but let's do it like that. And um, that's what I was trying to get across in the piece.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. Now you need to do a, a follow up for that moment. Uh, two, two hours later, we're like, oh, this is what I should have said. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just a perfectly cohesive. Like, That's
0: right. <laughs> yeah. All right. We're going to listen here to a performance uh, performed by Chrysanthi. On the other hand. Our next piece today is Magic Lady for Piano Quartet. I was really drawn in by the opening piano line of this piece, and I was hooked all the way to the end. Uh, I was following along in the score as I was listening, and I saw that I was approaching the end and thought, no, no, I want more, which I guess as an entertainer is what you should want to leave your audience. Uh, Can you talk talk to us about writing this piece?
1: So I wrote this piece um, in a really in a really weird time in my life, I guess all times in life are weird, but I wrote, this piece is uh, part of my first album called Stories. And it was while writing this album that I realized, that I became a composer, that I realized Mm. I was a composer and that I wanted to do this. Um, Because prior to that, I wasn't. Like, I came to composing very late um, compared to some of my peers. Um, I didn't, I didn't compose in undergrad. I didn't compose at the beginning of grad school. I re- this was I really started composing in 2012, 2013. Before then, now I did consider myself a songwriter, a singer-songwriter, and now I don't know if I would actually make that much of a distinction, but at the time, like I said kind of at the beginning, there felt it felt like a different step on the ladder to be like a composer, like that's like Mozart, you know, that's like it just did not feel like that's what I was doing when I was writing like Joni Mitchell type of songs, right. you know. But then I, I, I was a session player though, and I and I would do like, you know, do these like really intricate like overlapping like string parts, and that's kind of my specialty is is doing string parts. And um, someone told me like, you know, you should maybe you should start writing music, and I was like. Mm, and this person helped me set up my first like home studio. Basically, like I already had a pian- I already had a keyboard um, that I could you know play on and sing. But um, he helped me pick my first like microphone, and um, you know I got Logic on my computer. When pre- previously I was just using GarageBand, um, and I got my first pieces of equipment. And then every day I just started um, writing what I called exercises and uh, just trying to play around and see if I could just make short loops. And that's why like some of the things on that first album are so short because I was just trying to do like an exercise a day and they were just called like exercise one, exercise two, and they all had code names and stuff. And then after a few years of that, basically, or maybe a couple years, um, I had I put them up on SoundCloud and in a private link, and I shared them with a few people, and they were like, "Why don't you just, why don't you just make that an album?" And I was like, "Are you serious? I've never put out my own, <laughs> I've never put out my music," um, and that became part of the album. So Magic Lady was just written in that period. It was more toward the end of it. So when I had, had sort of knew a little bit, knew more what I was doing, but still, mm-hmm. I, I hadn't yet gone to school for like a composition degree or anything like that I had zero formal training in composition. I was just doing, you know, always like, I've always done just intuitively what sounded good, what felt good. I didn't, you know, the scores came retro, came retro. They were transcribed basically from what I was just doing um, what I was just recording. So I was recording all of that stuff. And um, yeah, I just, yeah, I, I just, that piece in particular, um, it ended up being, used by my friend who's a filmmaker doing she did a short film and she was like I I I'm liking your I like your music cuz I like Oliver Arnold's can, can I use some of your stuff for my short film and so um she used that and a few others and then I just um that one is an interesting lesson for me that piece and that's why I actually chose to include it even though it's a little bit old um, as the album came out in 2015 um, it's because I wrote all that music before going on tour in 2015, but I released the album during tour just because, you know, there's always a little bit of a time gap between when you finish the album mm-hmm. and when it's actually ready. Um, and when I took a leave of absence from school to go on tour, um, I came back to school and a mentor of mine heard some of the pieces and heard Magic Lady and kind of said, and I don't know if it was like disparaging or not, but it was just in his interpretation. He said, Oh, I can hear the pop influence in your music now. And because I had gone on a pop tour, which when you go to like an art school is not, it, it's cool to some people, but it's a little bit like sell out to other people. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, this mentor was reading into my album, this pop influence and, the truth is that i had written that album before the pop tour and to me it's a lesson that like interpreting artists an artists work based on what we know about their biography or like based on assumptions that we're making about the trajectory of their influences in life is a dicey subject and um you can read you can read it, it i mean it just um it's a lesson put it that way
0: all right well we are going to take a listen here to magic lady <laughs> piece today is I Dream of Kitty, electronica and spoken word. So this is unreleased, correct? So this would be like the premiere of this piece? Yeah. Awesome. So the spoken word in this piece describes the thought of someone lying in bed, the cat laying on top of them. I don't have a cat, but I assume this is something that you've experienced and were inspired by. Yeah.
1: Well, so (laughs) one of the newer ways, one of the ways that I also describe my work, which I should probably update, update my bio to, to include this, but uh is that a lot of my work is also kind of just like my diary entries with string with music except to music Uh (laughs)
0: uh-huh
1: which i live if i if you lived in your body is a little bit like that um so yeah this one just started out with um me laying in bed (laughs) recording a voice memo (laughs) to myself being like my cat is lying on me and oh my god like it was just a completely loopy like i was falling asleep and then the next morning I listened to it and I was like <laughs> I said that. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. And um because it was just really really bad quality like I I transcribed the words but then I re-recorded it and I like I changed you know it didn't exactly it's the text isn't exactly just what I recorded it as a voice memo but it's the way it started and some of the specific bits are just what I was thinking of as I was drifting to sleep. And um So that's how that started. Um, And then I added what music I thought (laughs) fit the vibe that it was in.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. All right. Well, we're going to hear the premiere here of I Dream of Kitty.
4: she lays on my chest as I try to go to sleep. Her purrs are loud, pleading, insisting. I push her away, but part of me enjoys having a warm body. retract, protract, little swiss army knives in my chest, we both lay still, if I don't move I won't bleed, we both lay still, I don't move I don't breathe, we both lay still, maybe I can enjoy the touch, no words. good as a breast
0: All right. Now, normally this is where I would end. We've listened to four pieces, but I wanted to throw in this last little bonus track called lipid Bilayer. It's only about 20 seconds long. And could you tell us really quick about what, what are we about to hear?
1: This is, this started with a friend of mine, Isaac Shankler, at the beginning of the pandemic, when everyone was like, this is how you wash your hands. Like, here's like an explainer of like the CDC guidelines, blah, 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 blah. All of that stuff was happening at the beginning of the pandemic. And, um, they kind of invited a bunch of, you know, composer friends, put out a call on Twitter that was like, hey, l- like, let's put together this, um, yeah, um, put together this album and um, the proceeds can go to, you know, like, you know, some like healthcare, like Medicare for all or something. And yeah, everyone just do exactly 20 seconds because that's how long you're supposed to wash your hands. So just make it, 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 it I don't care what you make, but just like, compose and record something that is 20 exactly 20 seconds long and it will be on an album that is just a compilation of songs to wash your hands to
0: <laughs> That's um, awesome. So yeah. <laughs> All right, well we're going to listen here to Lipid bilayer. Lipid bilayer, simpid
3: bilayer, simpid bilayer. Soap and water up, palm to palm, backs of hands, fingers interlaced, ace of thumb, fingernail.
1: Don't forget the wrist, leather, 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 leather. Getting all those crevices. Now it's time to
3: rinse. Don't, Don't
0: forget to dry your hands. Well, Chrysanthi, if my listeners want to learn more about you, what's your website? Where can they find you online?
1: You can find me at chrysanthi tan dot um, or. Star Wars Music Minute.com if you want to listen to my podcast. And um, I mean, I'm also a music critic, so you can find some of my writing in, in lots of places. Um, yeah, my name luckily is not too common.
0: So. <laughs> Are you on social media as well?
1: I am on social media. Um, I'm on YouTube. I'm on Spotify, Twitter, TikTok. On Instagram, I do a weekly Guess the Tune series. Um, so every Monday I post a new violin cover and the first person to guess the tune gets to pick the next week's tune. And that oh, awesome. has been going on for like seven years. Wow. <laughs> so do that. If you want to guess some music.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, Hey, listeners out there, make sure that you are also following movable dough on all of our social media platforms. You can follow us on Twitter at movable dough. We're on Instagram at movable dough listeners and on um, I'm sorry, Instagram is movable dough podcast and on Facebook, you can join us at the movable dough listeners, Facebook group. If you're anti-social media, just check out the movable dough website at sdcompose.com com slash movable dough. Man, how many times can I say movable dough in one pro promo?
1: Hilarious name. <laughs> my friends and I fight my, I have a friend that like we actively, we, we argue about movable dough all the time. So oh, really? I laughed when you reached out and I thought <laughs> that was your <laughs> podcast name.
0: <laughs> well, Chris it has been a pleasure to talk to you. I had, encourage everyone once again to go check out star wars music minute thank you for joining me today on movable dough my guest today was composer chrysanthi tan if you have a recommendation for a future guest or an idea for the show please email me at movable dough at gmail.com this is steve danielson keep the music moving